we all come to these Red Sea moments in life, these, these moments in life where we feel trapped uh, or our, <laughs> our scenario does not look good. And this is the situation that Israel found themselves in. Again, just as a quick connection back to where we've been, Israel had been delivered out of Egypt. Um, they, it was an amazing miracle that transpired to finally break Pharaoh's hold. They get out. In fact, we'll put up a... a, a a map just to kind of give it some, again, a, a perspective geographically, just for context purposes. You can see that even today, there's Canaan is modern day Israel, Palestine, that area. You can see where Egypt is. But this is, this is what it would have been like in the time of Israel. It's a freedom out of Egypt. And, and you can see the red line, which is pretty close to where, the, the, where they went, the circuitous route that ultimately brought them into Palestine. They didn't go along the coast, as we talked about. Uh, there were reasons for that. We went into those reasons in detail. Instead of going north and northeast, which is, would have been the logical route, they ended up beginning north, but then they turned southward. Notice. And see where the red line connects with the very tip of the Red Sea there? That, that is the place where they camped. Uh, and when word came back to Pharaoh that the Israelites, the recently liberated Israelites, were, were in the phrase that was used, entangled in the wilderness. Why? Because the place where they were camping, which is where God had instructed Moses to lead them, that particular place with the Red Sea in front of them uh, was a very precarious place to be positioned in because there was really no way out from to, the, to the south or to the west. It, those were, the terrain was unfavorable and difficult to negotiate. There was really only one way out if you had gotten there, and it was to go back up the northern route. Oh, they had come in from the, from the south, right? Coming from the north down south, they had gone, camped out at the, at the Red Sea. And the Red Sea was in front of them. And so when Pharaoh hears that there's trapped there, the army, the captains, the leaders, uh, the generals of Pharaoh decide that this is an opportunity to uh, reverse what has clearly been a mistake on our part to release these people. We will go back, we will slay them and take them, many of them who are still alive back into captivity because they're stuck with no place to go. They, those foolish Israelites have allowed themselves to be trapped and entangled in the wilderness. And so Pharaoh's armies begin to pursue down, they come from the north down into the south to catch the Israelites who seem trapped. When, this is where we pick up in our text in the 14th chapter of Exodus. It says here that as Pharaoh approached, in verse 10, the people of Israel looked up. They saw them coming, and they panicked. They panicked when they saw the Egyptians that were overtaking them. And you can see that fear begins to come upon them. And they begin to cry out. What they did was they cried out to God, Oh, God, save us! But that was immediately let go of, and their, their cries unto God turn to in an entirely different direction. I mean, the first inclination was good, but the things that followed were not good because their, their next move, they, they turned on Moses, and in their panic and in their fear, they began to blame him. And look what it says in verse 11 and 12. It says, and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Look at that. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave to the Egyptians or in Egypt than to be a corpse in the wilderness. This is your fault. Moses evidently turns to the Lord. And he cries out to God, what am I to do? And Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Look at this. This is great, this is, wait, this is great advice anytime. Don't be afraid. Stand still. Watch the Lord. He will rescue you today. The Egyptians that you see will never be seen again. 
the Lord will fight for you. Just stay calm. Again, in times of trouble, don't be afraid. Don't let your fear overtake you. Stand still. Stop it. Watch the Lord. Keep your eyes fixed in the right place. Stay calm. Calm yourself. This is, and then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out? Why are you crying out to me? Tell these people to get moving. The older version says, tell them to move forward. Get going forward. It says, tell them to go forward. Get them moving. Pick up your staff. Raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Listen, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. They will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots, his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, listen, all Egypt will see my glory. They will truly know now that I am the Lord. Now, that's the text. That's the piece here. It's amazing when you think about it because that's exactly what we're told happens. If you read through the chapter, one of the things that's clear, and we know this from the rest of the chapter, is that there, the, the command to move forward, get moving, occurs in the morning of the following. The night had passed, but evidently the pillar, the cloud, and the a fire at night, it turned into a fire at night. That, that pillar that was leading them had separated the Egyptian camp from the Israelite camp. And one of the other things that we're told that transpires is that God sent a wind, a mighty wind, and in the thinnest part of the Red Sea that the wind created an opening in the Red Sea. And it was blowing, it says, all night. And in the morning, as Moses evidently was crying out to God, God says, what are you looking at? I want you to raise your hand and let this open up. And it opens up and, and they begin to see a pathway through that piece of the sea. That's the picture we're given. And we're also told that when, when they got across, when Pharaoh sees what has transpired, he follows through and the waters are enclosed upon the armies of Egypt and they perish. And it becomes a, a moment of, of stunning victory. In fact, it's such an amazing moment that Israel, uh, led by uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, begins to sing songs of, of just absolute emotional praise and they begin to cry out, the, you know, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. The Lord has triumphed gloriously. There's a whole chapter, the 15th chapter is, is almost devoted to that song that's sung and passed down for the generations. The point is this. This moment of the crossing of the Red Sea, along with the Passover that was closely in conjunction with it that we talked about last week, this becomes the seminal key moment in the national life of Israel in the, in the Old Testament. It's huge. It's a marking point. Put it this way. If we were to read, uh, the, when we read the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, it is impossible to miss how big of a deal this moment is. So many times in the Psalms or in the prophets' writings, they will refer back to this moment in time, not just the Passover. Remember when, the, when the, it says when the angel passed over them, we'll talk about that in a moment, but all, and, and death passed by them because the blood of the lamb was on, the, on their doors. And that finally breaks Pharaoh. It was not just the Passover. It was also this idea of crossing through the Red Sea that once and for all, finally, they were free. Now, in th think about this. In theory, they were free. They were free. They had gotten out of Egypt. But there was a sense that they were not truly free because they were vulnerable. And so when this moment happens, when they come through the Red Sea moment, it marks truly the end of something and the beginning of something new. It becomes a moment, a marking point. Forever free, forever our past is past. We can no longer be pursued by Pharaoh. 
It's a moment. In fact, the Bible calls it a baptism. And in 1 Corinthians, and I put this in your, in your handout as well, Paul actually refers to this in the 10th verse, and he calls it the baptism of Moses. And he says it's like the people came out of this place of death and moved into newness of life. And of course, it's fascinating to connect that with the New Testament you know, teaching of baptism in which Paul also writes in the book of Romans. I just put this one up there where he says this. Look at this. Talking about newness of life. It says, therefore, we are buried with Christ, you know, buried with him through baptism. Think about it. Into death. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, you know, by the glory of the Father. Think about this. Even so, we also, you know, we walk in newness of life. I mean, we should walk in this newness of life. This whole idea of the picture of baptism. When a believer, okay, I would say, when a believer receives Jesus and opens their heart to the Lord, the, this idea of making a public confession by identifying with the death and the burial of Christ and then coming up into newness of life is what water baptism is really about. It's the idea is this. We, we go down into the water, even as Jesus went into the grave, and we come up symbolically, and we begin to say, now we move into new life, into a different... It, it is a public confession of what has taken place already inside of our own heart. As such, it is a marking point for us as well. It represents something. It, talks, it really connects to the, the, the death of Christ, his burial, and his conquering of death. Now, if you think about it, there's an amazing, profound, just stay with me on this, congruity between uh, the, the past, the two key events in the Old Testament and what Jesus did in the New. The Passover, again, the idea of the death passing by when, when the Lord had told Israel, if you put this blood, the blood of a slain lamb, on your door, death will pass you by. Of course, it reminds us of the cross in which, in which another lamb, the one John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who the Bible says it is by his very lifeblood that we have the ability to have death pass over us as well, that the wages of sin is, is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Think about it. The Bible says that we who were poor were made rich. He who was rich became poor, that we who were poor might be made rich, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made righteous in God. I mean, there's this really profound connection, uh, you know, in the scripture that's just all over. I mean, a lot of times we read the Bible and we go, oh, so it's a simple document, and it is true. It's amazing. We can go upstairs in the children, where the children are being taught, and there are Bible stories and principles that anyone, the most... They're the most simple of us can understand and appreciate the love of God and, the, and a Savior who died for us and the stories that Jesus taught to illustrate spiritual truth. There are, there are things that everyone can embrace, and yet there are such a complexity and depth and intertwined uh, uh, aspect to God's word. In fact, how many, there's a lot of us who've been reading through the Bible in the year, right? We started the year out by encouraging everybody to, to participate in this this plan, this Bible reading plan, and it was about reading through the Bible in a year. That was the goal. Um, I don't know how, how you're all doing, right, how we're doing on that. Uh, but there were different readings, New Testament and Old Testament. Now, if you have been doing your readings, then you realize that we are in the book of Leviticus. And that is a really tough book to get through. A lot of good intentions reading through the Bible die in the book of Leviticus. <laughs> Okay, it is a tough one. And the thing about it is it's filled with all kinds of stuff. We go, what's going on here? Sacrifices, blood, all, it's all kinds of priest requirements. And, but it's all types and shadows as well about what God ultimately is going to do in Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God, 
who will give his life away broken as the ultimate sacrifice so that we might live. I mean, there's so much that we might also come with him through death and move into newness of life. This idea of out of the grave he comes, and so we come with him. Death no longer has a stranglehold. Just as real as Israel is free to new beginnings, so it is. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, you know, the old things are passed away. You know, behold, all things become new. We are a new creation in God. That's, that's this sense of newness that sits upon this, and it's all tied together. Now, let's shift this around a little bit in the time that we have left. Let's think about this for a moment. Let's talk about it from the standpoint of, okay, we've looked at the account. We're examining it. We've sat with it. We're seeing what's happening. Let's talk about what happens in life when we find ourselves placed in positions where we feel enclosed, trapped, or extraordinarily vulnerable. Red Sea moments where we were only doing what we thought we were supposed to do and now we're stuck and we're very afraid. And it does not look good. And in these places which we will at times face, listen, all of us will at times, we will have people we love who face them and we will face them. It's just a fact. And in these times of trouble, when they come, or when we see them coming, not unlike Israel, as they look back and they could see death on the march, they could see it glistening in the setting sun, where the chariots of Pharaoh, like a column of tanks in the desert, I mean, on their way, armed to the teeth, they had nothing, no means of defense. They had no trained army, no weaponry, nothing. They were stuck. They couldn't run. They couldn't move. Nowhere to go southwest, the sea in front of them. The only way out, that's where Pharaoh's coming. It looked bad. In that place, they were tempted to do, they did things. And they're reminders of what you and I should not do. And there's also some principles of things that we should do that God responds to. And so I want to put some things on the board here. Let's suggest that in times of trouble, and again, these are just working points for us to wrestle with, that in times of trouble, when we are desperately afraid, that things are against us and circumstances uh, or situations look bad, I think let's, let's firstly remember not to panic, and we'll make up a word here, and catastrophize, all right, uh, our situation. Because there's a very real tendency when things are falling apart or looking bad or, going, or beginning to snowball on us to begin to allow that fear to consume us. And of course, I think, I think many of us know, I know not all of us, that the Bible reminds us continually not to be afraid, not to live fearfully. Uh, God has not given us one of the great verses in the Bible. God has not given us a spirit of fear in Timothy. Not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. That followers of Jesus are to live this way. It is the way of Jesus. So many times, if you read the Gospels, the counsel of the ministry of Jesus and his words, he'll say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear, fear has a way of gripping us. You know, fear gripped Israel. The, 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 they were gripped. And you know what? I don't blame them. I understand. I get it. Uh, there was a real thing to be afraid of. It looked bad. It looked really bad. And, and I think more than that. You know what else? If, if just for a moment, they thought they were free. It'd not be any, it, how could, it would be not unlike you and I who feel like we've gotten, finally gotten past something. It took so much to get past it to finally break out and get free. And then all of a sudden, and we're happy. Remember Israel leaves with their fists raised high. Yes. And then it dawns on them. We're, we're in peril. Everything we thought is now changing on us. And what we thought was left behind is now coming on us with a relentless intensity. And we now are feeling absolutely in a panic place. And it looks very bad. Now, here's another thing. 
What's, and what do they do? After an initial nod to God, they drop back into another pattern that unfortunately will characterize their generation for a number of years. Because they do, this, they do something else. It, and again, those verses 11 and 12 describe it in depth. They immediately turn, instead of trying to solve their problems or actually encourage one another to have faith in God, their first inclination is to blame Moses. And in times of trouble, we need to really be careful about blaming because blaming is so counterproductive, loved ones. It, you know, and I can't say that uh, in my own life I've been free of that. You know, Cheryl and I will be almost, it'll be almost 26 years we've been married. And I like to, and we've, had, we've, had, we've raised a family together. We're still raising them. In times of trouble, it's very easy to blame. It's very easy to try to assign blame. It's very easy to try to pull back up stories that we've left behind. It's amazing what can happen when we're afraid. We panic. We, we begin to, instead of, instead of encouraging one another, we start looking to blame. It's your fault. This wouldn't have happened if you hadn't done this. This is the situation that's coming because of this. Uh, this. We start ripping apart. We start, it's like we, uh, wounds have healed, and we rip them up again. And words fly out of us. Um, for some reason, we feel more permission to speak certain ways to people we love or are in relationship with. We can undermine those things. We can hurt. We can damage. We can maim with our words. Some of us are, are, are express things in a, in a very destructive fashion physically when we're afraid and angry. Um, others of us, we hold it in and we explode or we become reckless. But others of us speak out things. And one of the things we speak out when we're afraid is this is your fault. You, you have caused this. You have brought this on. You are the one. And it, in those places when that happens, it's not, it's not, honestly, it's not uncommon for us to feel like somehow someone else is responsible and we begin to fix blame on them. And I know what that's like. I felt that way myself. And, and so it's important for us not to blame in those times, but to trust God. And to learn how to live in a way that, that, that says, Lord, help me to be a, a, a constructive problem solver, not someone who, who is, is just going to try to blame someone else. They blame Moses. They said, this is your fault. You, you've brought us out here to die. You've brought us out here, Lord. You're the one. You're the one who has caused all of this. Now, another thing that they did, it's interesting, and this will be our third piece. In these times, let's remember also not to somehow look back on the past and romanticize it, right? Because that's exactly what they did, right? I mean, think about this. In that place, all of a sudden they're going, you know, Moses, you know, uh, it wasn't so bad in Egypt. I mean, slavery has its upsides. I mean, come on, guys. It's like, if I'm Moses, I'm going, what are you talking about? Look, it, we had it better back there. I mean, did you really? Did you really have it better back there? In fact, this will happen again and again and again. They'll say, you know what? It's not, it wasn't so bad back there. And then later on, they'll, they'll say, Lord, you know, um, we like the we like some things we like back there, the leeks and the onions and the meat pots that we had. <laughs> Wasn't so bad. It's amazing sometimes what we can do in terms of when we're in the middle of a position, how we can start to look back on things in the past we've left behind and we couldn't wait to get rid of. And wow, oh, it wasn't so bad. Because what it does is it, it's, it's a natural tendency to kind of distort things when we're in a position where we feel like, uh, you know. Somehow, uh, if I, you know, just that's a way of avoiding the awful situation that we find ourselves in. And in that place, you know, God wants to remind us, don't, don't try to look through rose-colored glasses in the past. And, and that doesn't do anything. Going backwards, dredging up old things that, that maybe they were good, maybe they weren't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
What matters is what's happening right now. And nothing's going to be helped by going back in time, trying to, one, blame, uh, two, uh, just let our fears run wild, or three, somehow try to go back to the past when we have to deal with the present. And it's a very real tendency to want to sort of evade the challenge that is before us by romanticizing what used to be, whether or not it's true. We make it something that, they said it was so much better. We would rather be there. Would you really? Would you really? You remember what that was like? If I'm Moses, I'm going, oh, so you like being enslaved with no rights, no privileges. What little things you had bartered out to you. Whatever freedom you had, barely yours. Come on. Who wants to live like that? Watch and see what God will do. And that's the next thing. He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. See what God's about to do. And in times of trouble, let's remember this. There is a difference between, there's a difference between standing still and doing nothing. Because a lot of times we read this and we say, Moses says, stand still, stay calm. And we say, oh, then he's just telling them to just do nothing. But he doesn't say that. He says, stand still and what? And watch. And there is a standing still that looks back and, and is afraid. Oh, my goodness. And there's a standing still that kind of is just kind of, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to kind of do nothing. But there's a standing still that says, I'm watching for what God is about to do. I'm fixing my eyes on what the Lord is about to do. And in that place, in that place where the Lord says, stand still, but it's not just stand still and do nothing. It's stand still and fix your mind on what God is about to do. I want you to get your eyes off of what's pursuing you. Cut it out. Get your eyes off of them. That's not what matters. What Moses says, what matters is what God is about to do. Stand still. Set your gaze in the right direction. Stop it. Stand still. See. Watch what God is about to do. Gather yourself for this moment. In other words, it's not stand still, don't do anything. It's stand still with a faithful glance. It's look ahead. You know, one of the things that's important when, he's, when he says, see the salvation of the Lord. And I, I think about this, and I think about how oftentimes God is trying to get us to the place where we actually activate our faith. Um, I was reminded that, that, that we, we cannot see what we're not looking for. There will be times when the Lord will say, listen, stop, calm yourselves, uh, trust me, uh, set your eyes upon me, set your, your eyes on my word for you, all right, focus your glance, get yourself ready, it's about preparing, it's positioning, it's about getting ourselves off of what we're afraid of, focusing our mind and our heart and our energy on the Lord and his promises. It's about holding ourselves in a panic moment and saying, God, I, I trust you. Help thou my, give me faith for this moment. I look to you. I, I choose to look to you. Look, but this is what it says in, in Psalm 46, 10. It says, be still and know that I am the Lord. Be still and know that I am the Lord. Instead of Moses in, uh, in Hebrews 11, remember we talked about this, by faith he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king of Pharaoh. But look at this. What does it say he did? But he endured as seeing him who is invisible. How do we see what is invisible? Bible says, by faith. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. How? By faith. Stop. Still yourselves and watch. Watch. Position. Get yourself ready. 
Watch this. Stop it. Don't allow fear to take over. Position yourself and then look to see what God is about to do. Get ready. Get ready. That's the point. And then the last thing he says is then, there's this moment where he says, okay, now stop looking and start moving. There are times when the Lord will say to us, go forward. Move forward. In the version, in the older version, it says that, again, the Lord said to them, get moving. Move forward. But move forward as the path opens up. Move forward. And there, you know, there's a time, listen, there's a time to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. There's a time to be still. Say, Lord, okay, Lord, I'm going to fix my, myself on you. I'm going I'm to get my eyes on you. And then there's also a time when we need to act, when we need to proceed, when we need to get moving. But remember, that time to move is when the Lord says move. And when he says move, um, how can we say it? Standing still won't do when God says move. I think it's really helpful. Hear me out. I think it's helpful to be aware of our tendencies. And where do you fit in on this thing that I'm about to say? I've thought about it my own self. Some of us, I mean, we are so inclined to haste. We're so reactive. Um, some of us, our first tendency is just to do it. Act. Respond. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm ready. I'm going. I'm doing it. I'm, I didn't even think about it. I didn't even think about it. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Some of us are very hasty, like Peter, right? We go. We're in. Lord, I'm in. I'm with you. I'm with you. And sometimes that's great, but sometimes that's reckless. It's dangerous. We can get in trouble because we're not thinking things. We just go with our emotions. We go. We do it. We're hasty. We don't think things through, pray things through, bring in counsel. Others of us, we have our natural tendency is to be extraordinarily careful, uh, very deliberate. We want everything checked out to the detail. Uh, we're going to make sure that this thing is perfectly aligned because I don't want to do something. And you know what? We spend a lot of time, and I'll tell you something. If that's our case, there are times where that overcaution can cause us to miss the moment. And that, listen, even something as good, and I mean this, as good as prayer can become a hideout. Because if God is saying, go forward, and we're standing still, and God is saying, go, and the path is open, now, move, this is the time, but Lord, now, go, it's swung open, go forward, Moses, lift up your hand, lift up your hand, let it happen, this is the time, move, and if we're standing still, when God is saying, go, there's no vir- that is no virtue in standing still when the Lord is saying, move. There is a time when God says, now is your time. Step out in faith. Watch what I'm about to do. The path is opening up. Be of good courage. Deliverance is near. Trust me one step at a time. And in that place, when those moments come, may God fill us with courage to move forward because there is a time to slow down and be still and fix our gaze in a proper way and to get our eyes off of our past that is pursuing us and get it on God and focus on where we want to go and where he's calling to us. And there's a time when the Lord says, okay, now you need to move. Now you need to act. Now you need to step forward. Moses, go, 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 go. Now move forward. This is your moment. When that door swings, may God give us courage to move forward, to move. So Lord, as, I, as, I, as we sit here 
in this moment as we ponder, as we think, as we wrestle, as we, as we try to apply your words into our own heart. I just really pray that you would, you would speak to us, Lord, and remind us of, of just, of not only of just that, of who we are and what you may have for us, but Lord, if we find ourselves in a place where we are, we are, you know, sometimes just, uh, our tendency is just to react, Lord, and we, we're, we're always in a hurry, and we, we just go from one thing to the next, and we, we have had a pattern of, of sort of reckless emotion-driven kind of act, actions in our lives that, that have often resulted in disappointment. Lord, I, I pray that we would grow in your wisdom. But if some of us, Lord, have, have found that there's another pattern, a pattern of deliberation that seems to be in us, Lord, a kind of paralysis that is often connected to our fear, that even when we sense that you might be doing something, we're afraid. We're afraid. Even when we see it open before our eyes, we don't want to walk through it. And you say to us, move, go forward, trust me, walk ahead, let me do this, let me do this. Your past will be your past. New things await. A miracle is about to happen. Trust me, see the invisible, walk with me. Lord, I pray that in these places we will hear your voice and be of good courage because you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. This we believe, this we know. Would you guide us, Lord? Will you show us the way and then give us courage when that way opens up? I pray this, Lord. I pray that as we, as we close our time that the song itself would connect to what we've shared. I pray that as we would also honor you in our time of giving as well. Those of us who are committed in, in our heart in this matter, we would honor you as well. But most of all, Lord, let your purposes be established in our lives for the season of our life that we are now in. Good things ahead for the glory of God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God. Amen.